Hello and welcome to this week's recording of the Worcester News brought to you by the Equipment Service for the Blind. Our service is free but if you'd like to make a donation or have any comments regarding our service please do get in touch with us. I am Sally Rowe and my husband Ian is reading with me, Alex Gwynn is our sound engineer and Carol Hartle our team administrator. We will be reading news from Friday, September the 24th through until Wednesday, September the 29th. We'll start with the headline stories, followed by general news and then the sporting highlights. The obituaries will be at the end of the recording for those who are interested. Um, Today's sunrise is 7.07am and this evening's sunset 6.49pm. And I've opened the birthday book and on the 6th of October is Margaret Allen's birthday. So we wish Margaret a very happy birthday. And our thought for the day is better taken from Psalms 84 verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God and dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'll now um, hand you over to Ian, who will give you some useful phone numbers and then some details of what's on in the local area as uh, theatres and concert halls are now opening up. Thank you. Uh, Firstly, the telephone numbers. Uh, The number for us here in Wilds Lane is 01905-767766. Police non-emergency number is 101. Crime stoppers are on 0800-555-111. The Worcester Hub number is 01905-765-765. Worcester Live is on 01905-611-427. Morven Theatres... 01684892277 Out of Hours Medical Services is on treble one and lastly Samaritans double one six one two three which is a free phone number. Now uh, moving on to what's on. Fortunately there is a little more creeping into the area. At Morven Theatres, there is a tribute to Sir Elton John called The Rocket Man. This is the world's favourite celebration to a musical icon playing to audiences all around the world. And this is on Sunday, 3rd of October at 7.30pm. The Ballet Cymru is giving a presentation of Giselle. Uh, This is a new ballet based on the eternal story of Giselle, music by Catherine Finch, and this is on Wednesday 6th of October at 7.45, also at Malvern. 
Moving on to Worcester theatres. Firstly, at the Huntingdon Hall on Saturday, the 2nd of October at 7.30pm. The music of Clifford T. Ward, performed by Robinson Stone. At the Swan Theatre, G2 Definitive Genesis is performing on Saturday the 2nd of October at 8pm. Also at the Swan, Dirty Dusting on Sunday the 3rd of October at 730 Keeping at the Swan, Macbeth on Thursday the 7th of October, 1pm and 7.30pm. And the best of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons on Friday the 8th of October at 7.30pm. And lastly at the Henry Sandon Hall, the National Trust Fan Club uh, is uh, giving a performance uh, on Tuesday the 5th of October at 7.30pm. Hand you back to Sally. Thank you. Now we have the headlines starting Friday the 24th of September. No jail for crash for police officer. A police officer who caused a fatal crash after travelling up to 110 miles an hour responding to an emergency call has been spared jail after a court heard he is suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. PC Jamie Holloway, who resigned from West Mercia Police in August after being convicted of causing death by careless driving, was given an eight-month suspended prison sentence and ordered to complete 200 hours of unpaid work in the community. The 51-year-old sobbed in the dock and bowed his head for several seconds at Worcester Crown Court after being told he would not go to prison. The experienced constable collided with the rear of David Shaw's Ford Fiesta on the A449 between Kidderminster and Worcester at 2.51pm on May 28, 2018. Former soldier Holloway, who had 19 years service in the police, was cleared by the jury of causing death by dangerous driving, but was convicted by a majority verdict of causing death by careless driving. Judge Nicholas Cartwright told the former officer that no sentence could alter the enormous loss caused to Mr Shaw's widow, sister and three sons. The trial was told Mr Shaw had been in a line of traffic travelling at 37 miles an hour and was signalling and moving to turn right as he was struck by Holloway's unmarked BMW X5 on which had he had his lights and sirens at 50, in a 50 mile an hour zone. Mr Shaw, aged 53, died in hospital two weeks after the crash. Although the judge ruled Holloway's speed had been far too high, he accepted he was driving in response to a genuine emergency. Suspending Holloway's sentence for two years and ordering him to make a £2,300 contribution to the Crown's cost, the judge added, You are a man with no previous convictions of any kind and with previous exemplary character. Having seen your demeanour in the witness box, I do accept you are remorseful despite your plea of not guilty. I have come to the conclusion that it, the sentence, can be suspended. Defence QC Michael Matthew Bart said, 
Mr Holloway is devastated, depressed and tearful when talking about what he has done and the impact it has had on Mr Shaw's family. His conviction means he will never work in this field again. Victim impact statements were read to the court on behalf of Mr Shaw's wife Fiona, his sister Catherine and his three sons. They described Mr Shaw as a loving, kind, generous man who always put his family first as his main priority. In a statement, the family said, David Shaw left home for a short drive to fill the car with petrol for a family trip. David never returned home. David was a loving husband who was devoted to his family and a professional in his industry for over three decades, respected by clients and colleagues alike. The family have been devastated by this incident and have waited three long years to understand the full details of the case and for justice to be served. The statement continued, David's loss of life needs to make a difference and the family hopes that all actions will be taken to avoid this type of horrific and unnecessary incident happening in the future. To this end, the family supports this incident being used as a case study for police officers in the West Mercia Police Force and, indeed, other police forces prior to officers commencing work in a role where there is the justification for high speeds. Deputy Chief Constable Julian Moss said, I can assure Mr Shaw's family and communities across West Mercia Police we take incidents such as these incredibly seriously and are committed to taking any learning from this case and embedding it within our organisation. The headline for Saturday and Sunday, 25 and 26 of September, Fueling Cues. Two petrol stations have closed their pumps in Worcester and queues have been spilling out of forecourts across the city as the UK faces a national fuel shortage. Transport Secretary Grant Shapps urged people to carry on as normal despite BP and Tesco announcing some stations would close and existing supplies spread across outlets due to a shortage of lorry drivers. Long lines of traffic were seen pouring out of several stations in Worcester yesterday, with many motorists appear to be panicked buying. Two BP garages in Worcester have already closed all pumps as a result of the shortage. One station in Lower Wick has been closed since Wednesday. A sign outside the station reads, Sorry we're out of fuel. Our teams are working hard to fix this. Thank you for your understanding. A member of staff said the adjoining Marks and Spencer food store was still open. Meanwhile, cones were placed outside the BP garage on the A44 Whittington Road yesterday afternoon, preventing motorists from filling up. A member of staff said yesterday afternoon, We ran out of fuel this morning. We haven't got an ETA yet on when the station will be restocked. Independent petrol station TSS on Tolodyne Road has not experienced a shortage of fuel, but has felt the impact of people rushing to fill up their tanks. A staff member said, If you can imagine, 
I took more money between 11am and 1pm today than I normally do in five days, so I have shut the forecourt and I am only serving regulars. Tesco superstores in both St Peter's and Warnden were experiencing long queues of motorists waiting to fill up. A steward was spotting at the, spotted at the Warnden store attempting to manage the traffic queues. There were also queues at the Shell Garage on the A4040 near Worcestershire Royal Hospital and at the Texaco station in Tolodyne Road. AA President Edmund King said, There is no shortage of fuel and thousands of forecourts are operating normally with just a few suffering temporary supply chain problems. Fridays and the weekend always tend to be busier on forecourts as drivers either combine filling up with shopping runs, prepare for weekend trips or refuel for the start of the new working week. He continued, drivers should not fill up outside their normal routines because even if the occasional petrol station is temporarily closed, others just down the road will be open. It is now clear that there have been occasional delays over recent weeks that have been managed with hardly anyone noticing. This was a manageable problem. An illegal immigrant cannabis gardener who ran a farm in Worcester is behind bars and facing possible deportation to his native Albania. Elian Leachy was responsible for 250 plants in Trent Close when police raided the house specially converted to be a cannabis factory. The 26-year-old had admitted production of the Class B drug when he appeared at Worcester Crown Court for sentence on Friday, following the search warrant executed on August the 26th. Tom Griffiths, prosecuting, said, They had to force entry into that property and found Mr Litchie inside. Inside they discovered 170 mature plants and 80 saplings split between five different rooms. Although his solicitor claimed he did not know the plants he was cultivating were cannabis. The electricity supply had been tampered with and extra ventilation and lighting had been installed, the court heard. Leachy made admissions to police that he had been looking after the plants and was paid £5,000 per month to do so. Barry Newton, defending, said his client's instructions were that for a sum of £7,000 his move to the UK could be arranged. When he got to the restaurant where he was to start work to pay off that debt, he had no longer got his identity papers or his passport. He does not know whether he lost those or somebody took them. He was approached initially to do some painting work by other people. Then he was told to become the gardener at the address where the drugs were found. The money he was paid cleared that debt, apparently. He admitted that he had continued his involvement to raise enough money to go home. In his interview, the police had to explain to him about cannabis. He didn't actually know what these plants were, said Mr Newton. He had an inkling what he was being asked to do or told to do or paid to do was illegal. The city solicitor argued his client was acting under direction and potentially some pressure to do it, with his involvement through naivety and potentially through exploitation. 
He explained that immigration services were now involved in the case and that Litchi isn't going to argue about any orders or proposals. He's deported at some point. Judge Nicholas Cartwright sentenced Litchi to 16 months in prison, half of which can expect to serve in custody and half on licence. This sentence reflected a third discount in the length of the custodial sentence to take into account the defendant's guilty plea at the earliest opportunity and his lack of previous convictions. Time the defendant has already spent in custody awaiting sentence will also count towards how long he ultimately spends in prison. Judge Cartwright told Lucci, It's not for me to make any orders about your immigration status. That is for the Home Office. Judge Cartwright ordered the forfeiture and destruction of the cannabis plants and associated paraphernalia. A victim surcharge of £156 was also imposed, which must be paid by Litchi within three months of his release. Tuesday, September 28. Give fuel to key workers. Petrol stations were forced to shut yesterday as a home care boss issued a plea for urgent action to keep carers and NHS workers on the road. Ashwell Home Care Services boss Philip Ashwell has warned there could be some life and death situations if the issues continue. Mr Ashwell said 25 carers from his Morven service have been reporting issues getting fuel all weekend. He expected it will be the same story for other carers and emergency service workers. This panic buying is really having an impact on domiciliary care, he said. If a carer misses an appointment, whether because they don't have fuel in their car or they are stuck in a queue waiting at a station, that could mean someone reliant on medication doesn't get it or an ambulance isn't called when it was needed. At the moment, we will divert someone to cover that appointment, but if they are five miles away, that is using their fuel, meaning they could run out. He suggested the government advise people to work from home and NHS carers and key workers be given priority at the pumps. We visited seven city petrol stations yesterday morning and only one, the Texaco garage in Blackpool Road, had fuel, with 20 vehicles queuing to get in. The Texaco in Castle Street was shut to anyone wanting to buy petrol in the morning, and when a tanker did arrive at 1.15pm, long queues had formed within minutes. Signs have been put up at the SR in Henwick Road, BP's in Whittington Road and Morven Road, SO in London Road and Commandery Service Station in Bath Road saying no fuel available. Worcester MP Robin Walker said if the issues continue, key workers could be given priority. If we need to, we do have lists of key workers from the Covid crisis if needed, but I'm not aware it is being looked at at the moment, he said. I know the government has taken various steps, including suspending competition law. One of the things the government has looked at is issuing, sorry, is using the army, but I can understand why that is seen as a last resort 
as that would take a vehicle out of use that might be needed for other emergency uses. He added, There is plenty of fuel in the country. It is just getting it to the stations. The advice would be, for those who don't have to use their car for a little bit, come back and fill up when the situation has improved. The crisis first hit the city last Wednesday when a BP garage ran out of fuel. Wednesday, September the 29th. Hero saves brother's life with CPR. A teenager has been hailed a hero after giving his two-year-old brother CPR when the toddler turned blue during a seizure. Mum, Sarah Smith, said she did not know what to do as youngest son Sam began convulsing, then turned blue on Saturday morning. As the family waited for an ambulance to arrive at their home in Cherry Orchard Estate, Beverly, eldest son Joe swung into action. The 16-year-old apprentice at Kidderminster College began CPR before banging on neighbours' doors for help and guiding paramedics to the house. His actions have not only been praised by his mum, but also Andy Jane's community response manager for the West Midlands Ambulance Service, who said it showed just how crucial it is to know CPR. Miss Smith, age 41, said, I am so grateful I had Joe here because I thought Sam was going to die and I was screaming. It was horrific. Joe was in control and he was absolutely amazing. He was calm and just my rock and my hero. He started chest compressions and mouth-to-mouth because he didn't know if Sam was breathing or not. Her 14-year-old son, Ollie, was busy calling family members. Sam was taken to hospital by ambulance with a temperature of 40 degrees centigrade, where doctors found he had suffered a febrile convulsion. After returning home, the toddler had another seizure and was taken back to hospital. Fortunately, Sam is on the mend and recovering at home with his family. Miss Smith now wants all children to be given CPR lessons so they know what to do in an emergency. Andy Jane's Community Response Manager for West Midlands Ambulance Service, also praised Joe for his quick actions. He said, This story is a fantastic example of how crucial knowing how to do CPR is. Well done to Joe. For every minute your heart stops beating and you stop breathing, your survival rate reduces by 10%. The definitive treatment is good, and early CPR and defibrillation, which is why it's crucial that people learn these life-saving skills and know where their nearest public defibrillator is in their local community, as you never know when these skills will be needed. When it comes to CPR, the important thing is to give it a go. Remember, anything you do could contribute to the patient's survival. Even if you haven't done it before, doing something is better than nothing at all. By doing CPR in an emergency, you are giving someone a chance of survival that they wouldn't have had without you. Uh, We're now going to commence going through the general articles in the paper. Police have released guidance on how to keep homes safe while they investigate a number of burglaries in Worcestershire. Among those being investigated include the the woman who returned to her home in Northwick Avenue on Sunday to intruders in her home, the giant television that was stolen from Worcester Racecourse earlier this month, as well as the ram raid at a spa petrol station in Pershaw two weeks ago. West Mercia Police 
said the tips will help decrease the number of potential burglaries in the county. Detective Constable Jody Lothian said, We understand that when the weather is warm, people want to get fresh air into their homes, but it is really important to keep you and your property safe. If you follow our advice, you can protect your home while still enjoying these final warm months. Many of the tips given are inexpensive to adopt and just good habits to get into. As a force, we work tirelessly to keep members of our community safe. Our We Don't Buy Crime team is our dedicated response to tackling serious acquisitive crimes such as burglary and theft, as well as associated harm. A part of the We Don't Buy Crime work, we liaise with second-hand shops, fuel stations and utilise covert tactics to tackle the harm associated with crimes like burglary and prevent the targeting and exploitation of vulnerable people. I'd like to also reassure the public that, that we are working hard to detect those responsible for committing recent house burglaries and bring them to justice. If you have any information that can help our investigation or someone has tried to sell you high-value jewellery and watches recently which have left you suspicious, please call 101 or visit our website to make a report. Alternatively, if you have information but don't feel comfortable speaking to police, you can speak to the independent charity Crime Stoppers. It is 100% anonymous they never ask your name and they cannot trace your call or IP address. You can contact them online or by calling 0800 treble one. Here are some top tips to keep your home secure. Ensure all windows and doors are locked when you leave your property. Ensure ground floor windows and doors and easy accessible upper floor windows are locked at night. Ensure ladders are locked away, stroke down at all times. Remove opportunities for burglars to hide by increasing lines of sight at the front of your property by trimming hedges and trees. Grow prickly hedges, roses around the perimeter of your back garden as these are known as defensive plants and provide a level of deterrence. The city's first mass flu vaccination site has opened. Worcester Racecourse is playing host to the vaccinations with organisers saying that they can vaccinate a thousand people a day when it's fully operational. The site is being run by the Worcester Primary Care Network and Clinical Commissioning Group after the success of similar sites for coronavirus vaccination, such as the Three Counties Showground and St Peter's Baptist Church. The Worcester News was invited in for the site's pilot day, which saw the first flu jabs handed out to the over-50s. David McDowell, Patient Quality Manager at Worcester City PCN, said the turnout had been hugely encouraging on day one. We tried to think out of the box with how we rolled out the flu vaccinations this year. People can still do them via their GPs, but GPs are under huge pressure. So the potential here is that we can hugely expand the number of people having their flu jab and get it done more quickly.
We can do up to a thousand people per day, but there is huge potential for expansion. We have six vaccinators currently, but if we can get 12 working, the number of people we can vaccinate is hugely exciting. We think there are roughly 40,000 people in the city who are eligible for their flu jab now. So when normally you could wait until January for yours, we could potentially have it done before Christmas. The race course was turned over for vaccinations despite there being a race day on the site the following day. Mr McDowell thanked the management of the race course for agreeing to let them use the space, saying they had accommodated them perfectly. Worcester Racecourse General Manager Michael Thomas said, It has been a difficult year for the racecourse and for everyone, so when the opportunity came for us to help the NHS, we were more than happy to help. I had my flu jab this morning, so hopefully even more people can come down and get theirs. The vaccination site is open on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, and jabs can be booked via GPs with a small number of walk-ins available. The Worcester City branch of the Royal British Legion has announced that the dedication ceremony for its new standard will take place this weekend. The ceremony will take place at Old St Martin's Church in the Corn Market, Worcester, on Sunday, October the 3rd at 4pm. A standard is carried by every branch of the Royal British Legion as a constant reminder of the Legion's motto, Service Not Self. The Union flag in the corner signifies the sovereign and nation, the blue colour, loyalty and fidelity, and the gold-coloured central band, Service. Branch Committee member Paul Harding said, As the RBL is one of the oldest armed forces charities, the standard acts in a similar way to a regimental colour, or in very simple terms, a flag used by Britain's armed forces. Due to the pandemic, the standard has not been used or dedicated, so a short ceremony will be held at Old St Martin's Church on Sunday. The church was traditionally used by the branch, when the branch had a club in nearby St Nicholas Street. This year the Royal British Legion is marking its centenary and Worcester City branch is still going strong after 100 years. The Legion of the 21st century is open to anyone, despite the belief that it's only open to veterans of Britain's armed forces. The Legion remains the custodians of remembrance and raises money through the poppy appeal, as it did when it was first formed in 1921. Paul said, as the pandemic comes under control, we look forward to continuing for another 100 years. Look out for further news on the Worcester City branch, and if you wish to join, you'll be very welcome to attend the dedication ceremony and the forthcoming annual meeting later in the year. Children in Worcester are running marathons and picking up litter at the same time thanks to a new project. Volunteers have set up a weekly Marathon Kids event on T Newtown Green in Ronxwood. Children are invited to run laps of the field every Saturday at 10am with the goal of clocking up enough miles on the Marathon Kids mobile app to cover the distance of a marathon and earn a medal. And the challenge was taken further when the children participated in plogging, which involves running while collecting litter. 
The idea is being run in partnership with Platform Housing Group as part of its Communities Month. Platform Community Officer Paul Edwards said, The event was very popular with everyone that took part, with everyone throwing themselves into the event and wanting to do it again. When people get involved, they found it enjoyable, as well as knowing you're helping the environment while keeping fit. It was fantastic to be able to kick off Platform Housing's Community Month with a bang, and it would be fantastic if others could take up the challenge and make a difference in their communities. The next plogging event will be at Ronksford Community Centre on Saturday, October the 30th at 11am, straight after the Marathon Kids event. Volunteer Race Director Claire Dalton said, I am extremely proud of every child and family who comes along to run or walk the laps on Newtown Green. The 20 minutes of running is a real energiser for the whole family. We have grannies, dogs, parents and babies in buggies all joining in the run. We think that one of our regular family dogs will soon be earning her own marathon dog medal. Volunteer Marshal Heather Warner said, We have tots to teens running, walking and toddling around Newtown Green every Saturday morning, all counting their laps and achieving their medals. They love to run. It's as simple as that. The first ever Worcester Primary School's Bicycle Hill Climb took place at the city's Fort Royal Park. Worcester St John's Cycling Club joined forces with friends of Fort Royal Park, Women on Wheels and local cycling advocacy group Bike Worcester to set up a number of hill climb challenges in the historic park on Sunday. Parents, spectators and young riders from schools in and around the city came armed with cowbells and pots and pans to bang and to encourage children aged 2 to 12 to push hard on the pedals to tackle the progressively harder routes to the summit, Col de Four Royale. At the Wilds Lane entrance to the park, a skills area featuring ramps, slaloms and a limbo pole was set up and a short grass warm-up track. There then followed routes up the east and west faces, a steep and technical route taking on the path through the playground, and finally an energy-sapping off-road climb, testing the power, stamina and bike-handling skills of the young riders. Paul Sobchich of St John's Cycling Club was thrilled with the success of the event. I can't believe how well the children performed. Some of the routes are a challenge for seasoned adults. The climbs are as tough as any around. It's been a wonderful day and I'm already planning and looking forward to the next event here. Dan Brothwell of Bike Worcester said, This has been fantastic and loads of fun. The park is perfect for an event such as this, a real jewel in the crown of Worcester. And thanks to the park staff and friends of Fort Royal for being wonderful hosts. Samuel, aged seven, of St George's CE Primary School, successfully conquered all four courses. It felt so good when I got to the top, I just wanted to do it again. For more on St John's Cycling Club, Women on Wheels and Bike Worcester, visit the website as well as social media. Friends of Fort Royal Park can be found on Facebook. 
It has been more than a year since Worcester's Pret-a-Manger closed its doors for good, but a new announcement could mean the chain is making a comeback. Pret-a-Manger has said it will open more than 200 UK shops over the next two years after securing a further 100 million cash injection. The company's post-pandemic restructuring took place last year after sales and footfall were hard hit by a heavy reduction in the number of people travelling into city centres for office work, with more people working from home due to the pandemic. Pret said its regional shops were now at their strongest ever levels, while its London city sites had rebounded to 72% of weekly pre-pandemic sales. The company said it will look to continue the latest phase of its recovery strategy by investing to rapidly expand its shop estate. It revealed it had been backed by a new £100 million net investment by owner J.A.B. Holdings and founder Sinclair Beecham. Funding will be used to help the group double in size within five years after closing 30 stores last year, as well as thousands of people losing their jobs. However, when Worcester News asked if we'd be getting a branch back in the high street, a spokesman said, Locations for the stores have not yet been confirmed. A spokesman said, We're not able to comment on exact locations. Pret will be focusing on regional and suburban areas in the UK, including transport hubs and motorways. Pano Christou, Chief Executive Officer, said the decision was made after seeing a strong growth in those areas. We are keen to open more stores in regional suburban areas as these have been really strong recently. We have obviously kept an eye on the way trends have shifted since the pandemic and obviously areas such as service stations have been particularly busy so that is why we have linked with Moto and Motor Fuel Group. We are seeing lots of property opportunities but it is unsurprisingly competitive for the best sites but I think landlords see us as a really strong brand and we are keen to see Pret in. A hostel chief has expressed his disappointment after a GP surgery put up a poster threatening to call the police unless a homeless man left their premises. The man had been sleeping outside the Thornlow Lodge surgery on Barbourn Road. The sign read, Dear Mr Rough Sleeper, please do not sleep here anymore. If you are here in the morning, we will have to call the police. But Jonathan Sutton, chief executive of Worcester-based homeless charity St Paul's Hostel, said that he expected better of an NHS doctor's surgery. He said, between us and Mag's Day Centre, we have been in this city for 70 years, so it is disappointing that they didn't think to call us. I am just surprised an NHS practice didn't know what to do. I would welcome a conversation with the primary care network in Worcestershire. A spokesperson for Mag's Day Centre, a charity which offers support for Worcester's homeless and vulnerable, said they could understand the surgery's position but advised on how the situation could be dealt with better. They said it depends on the situation. If they were causing lots of issues, then that would definitely be the best response. Generally, we advise members of the public or whoever else to report rough sleepers using Streetlink. 
It is really useful, especially if the person is not yet known to services. A spokesperson for the practice said, We are aware of an individual that has been sleeping on the practice's premises on several occasions over the last few weeks. This individual has been asked to refrain from returning to sleep on the premises due to patient safety concerns. The sign has been removed and the receptionist at the surgery confirmed the man had moved on. Three members of Worcestershire... Three members of Worcestershire Extinction Rebellion groups joined climate justice pilgrims on their 500-mile walk to Glasgow. Walkers initially arrived in Worcester's Cathedral Plaza from Malvern to be greeted and blessed by Bishop Martin of Dudley as part of one of many organised checkpoints along the route. The group had walked from Bristol and Stroud and were met by a welcoming party of local Extinction Rebellion members. People had the chance to meet the pilgrims for a shared meal at the church hall of St George's Roman Catholic Church in Sanson Place with Bishop John of Worcester also in attendance. This was followed by a period of joint reflection and prayer meeting in the church with the pilgrims staying the night before setting off again in the morning. Tom Petrosky of Ecumenical Environmental Movement Green Christian UK said we were delighted and honoured to welcome the climate justice pilgrims in our city. Green Christian Movement is one of the local organisers welcoming the pilgrims as they make their long journey to Glasgow to demand swift and effective action of the global leaders. The challenge of the climate crisis is a global one, but we all should be doing our bit locally. The Roman Catholic Church has a particularly strong tradition of engaging in long pilgrimages to holy places, this time to a crucial international conference to make plans to save humanity from global warming above 1.5 degrees. Ros Cook, a host from XR, said, It was hugely moving for me personally to combine my Christian faith with enabling the Camino walk to happen through catering. Extinction Rebellion and St George's worked hard together. Hosting was offered along the way by Christian, Jewish, Quaker and Buddhist groups. Michael Dunn, Worcester XR and Susan Porter, Bromsgrove XR, joined Izzy Malvern XR who had walked from Bristol as they set off for Birmingham. Despite all three not managing to walk the full distance, the rest of the group met up with some more members in Stourport before convening with at least 25 further walkers from the London group in Birmingham where they arrived on Monday. The walkers are due to reach their end target of Glasgow for COP26 summit in October. Several walkers told their hosts that the 500-mile walk was the best way to express some hope that our world leader of COP26 would listen to our pleas to save the earth. A multi-million pound bridge will be built in Worcester after plans were backed by councillors. Worcestershire County Council's planning committee unanimously approved proposals to build the walking and cycle bridge across the River Severn in Worcester between Gullivelt Park and the former Keepax landfill site. 
A decision was deferred in July over concerns the bridge would not link up well with existing and planned walking and cycling routes. Council leader Simon Geraghty said building the bridge first would allow for improvements to be made to the city's walking and cycling routes in the future. He said the upgrades would come in time. It's important that we put the bridge in place, he told the council's planning committee at County Hall yesterday. We open up these opportunities and the case has been very clearly made that those resources can come and will come once the key bridge is in place. He said he understood the concerns about ensuring more walking and cycling links were provided around the bridge, but pointed to the success of the city's Diglis Bridge. Councillor Geraghty said the bridge would give residents in thousands of new homes that are due to be built to the west of Worcester the opportunity to walk and cycle rather than driving to the city centre from day one. Councillors narrowly voted to defer a final decision in July over fears it would not join up properly with walking and cycling routes around the rest of the county, creating a bridge to nowhere. After the meeting, Councillor Alan Amos, Cabinet Member for Highways, said, This bridge is another big step forward in our commitment to improving the county's walking and cycling infrastructure. The bridge will improve connectivity in and around Worcester City for commuters and those in the area for leisure purposes. We have already delivered a number of schemes to improve walking and cycling routes, including the opening of Crookbarrow Way, Hams Way and Broomhall Way footbridges in Worcester as part of the Southern Link Road scheme and the full refurbishment of Sabrina Bridge in the centre of Worcester. Teenagers throwing eggs at cars and homes have caused upset among residents. People took to social media to describe how they had been pelted with the eggs in Warnden villages. On Tuesday, a resident said, A teenager threw an egg at her daughter's car as she drove down Hastings Drive just by Wood Green Evangelical Church. The resident said on Facebook the offender appeared to be waiting to cross, so she waited for him before he suddenly and without warning threw the egg at the car's side, causing a large bang before running off. Another said on the same night an egg was thrown so hard at the back window of their car that they thought the back window had been shattered. And another resident added they had recently had eggs thrown at the back of their house. Warnden Parish Council's Vice Chairman Andrew Cross said he had seen the reports and also saw similar antisocial behaviour recently in Aldi, although he did not see eggs being thrown. These things tend to come in phases and there is definitely an issue at the moment, he said. The last time we had similar incidents of egg throwing was in Longmeadow a year ago. The question was always been how to engage with teenagers who are bored in a meaningful, helpful and creative way. That is the challenge, but it would surely help to engage with them. If the behaviour becomes a pain, it is how we tackle it. Egg throwing at someone driving can cause a shock and it could cause an accident. The councillor said the crucial thing the public can do is report any incidents. The public should report it, whether calling or emailing the police, then they can build up a picture, Councillor Cross said. And also report it to the parish clerk so we can raise it. Incidents can be reported by emailing warnden.snt 
at westmercia.pnn.police.co.uk calling 101 or Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 111. police were contacted for comment but no one was available before our deadline. A nearly four-year campaign appears to finally be over as a junction is set to get a safe pedestrian crossing. We reported earlier this year that Councillor Lynn Denham had been frustrated that despite the campaign and Worcestershire County Council's disability officer agreeing it was a problem, no progress had been made. Since becoming councillor for the cathedral ward that covers the site of the crossing in Midland Road, Councillor Denham said it has been her top priority to get the crossing and she had now had good news, it has the green light. I have been campaigning and lobbying for years, Councillor Denham said. When I was elected as a county councillor, I said one of my top priorities would be getting this crossing and I was determined to get it. I'm really pleased they have come up with a proposal that works and I will pay for it from my divisional funds. We are going to get a safe pedestrian crossing just a little way along from the tunnel. Councillor Denham said to get the crossing, the work is set to include the removal of some on-street parking, replaced with double yellows, so there can be space for it in Midland Road. It is a really busy pedestrian crossing with people coming down from Newton Road and from Wilds Lane, the councillor said. At the moment, there is a huge curb on the pavement on both sides so pedestrians can't access the middle safely. If you are disabled in a wheelchair or have got a double buggy, it has always been an issue. At the moment, for the only safe crossing point, you've got to go all the way almost to where the Liam Perrins factory is. It is fantastic news it is going to happen. I'm hoping it will be in by the end of the financial year, March next year. The issue was first raised in February 2019 when the Worcester News published a video showing a man driving his mobility scooter into oncoming traffic through the Newton Road tunnel which led some readers to point out there was no dropped curb at the location. City resident Andy Mapp, a mobility scooter user, later called for action describing the area a real nightmare and intimidating for those on a mobility scooter. And later that year, a petition was created by city resident Laura Ward asking for the installation of a pedestrian crossing that attracted more than 100 signatures. Councillor Alan Amos, Cabinet Member for Highways, said, We have been aware of local residents' concern for the safety of pedestrians and wheelchair users crossing Newtown Road at the junction with Midland Road, Shrub Hill Road. We are working with the local member to improve the crossing experience by adding in a central refuge further down Midland Road, and also resurfacing the road. When it is completed, this will allow pedestrians to cross Midland Road in two stages. 
We're currently working on the preparations needed to allow this scheme to take place and we'll look for the scheme to be completed in spring next year. Patients in Worcestershire have expressed their concerns and frustrations over difficulties in getting face-to-face -face appointments with their GPs since lockdown restrictions have been gradually eased. NHS England and the Department of Health have supported the return of face-to-face -face GP appointments to pre-pandemic levels, but Worcestershire GP practices are struggling to meet this demand, which will inevitably increase as the temperature drops over the coming months. City GP Dr Jason Seawoodhurry said general practice has traditionally been viewed as a family-friendly speciality. Therefore, a significant number of doctors who choose to specialise in general practice do so in order to yield the benefits of working part-time, which enables them to raise a family. This can range from a day, from half a day a week up to three days a week. This further compounds the difficulties in achieving a full-time workforce equivalent to meeting the healthcare needs placed upon local GP services. The number of full-time equivalent GPs per patient in England has dropped by 10% over the past five years, whilst over the same period the number of patients registered with GP practices has risen by nearly 3.2 million, which is an increase of 5%. There is clearly a mismatch between supply and demand. He continued, there are several reasons for the fall in GP numbers from an ageing and burned out workforce to struggles with recruitment and retention. The honest and frank issue of Brexit is also relevant. EU doctors in the UK constituted 9.7% of the medical workforce, which has fallen since Brexit. Leading on from this, with 37% of UK doctors being trained abroad, over half of them in Asia, there is potential for more foreign GPs to be recruited into the NHS. Thankfully, the EEA visa cap, which saw over 1,500 doctor visa applications being rejected in 2017-18, has now been lifted, and this means caps on immigration from outside the EU no longer apply to doctors and nurses wanting to work in the UK. Dr Seawood Harry said also said that appointments often overrun, leading to many GPs working extensive amounts of unpaid overtime to fit in all their appointments. It's fair to say that most GPs struggle to meet the demands of a 10-minute face-to-face consult. Patients frequently present with multiple complex issues that can take up to an hour to sort out, he continued. This results in most GPs running late and working an extra one to three hours each day, which is not remunerated nor returned as time in lieu. Whilst neither the Department of Health nor the Royal College of General Practitioners stipulate a time restriction upon GP consultations, the somewhat arbitrary 10-minute consultation is put in place by most practices to meet the high-level healthcare demands of the community. A survey by the British Medical Association done in April 2021 found that almost 50% of doctors are suffering from a depression, anxiety, stress or burnout. Additionally, additionally it summarised that around 60% are experiencing higher than normal levels of fatigue and nearly 30% have undertaken additional unpaid hours. Dr Seawood Hurry insisted that plenty is being done to help combat the disparity in the supply and demand for appointments 
A lot is being done to address these, these issues. Worcester University is opening a private medical school and additionally, GP training schemes in Hereford and Worcestershire have significantly expanded the number of places available to train junior doctors to become future GPs. Local pharmacies, urgent care centres and the NHS Choices website can also provide advice which supports the work of busy GP practices. A group of 17 fundraisers jumped 13,000 feet out of an aircraft for a charity skydive last week. Annabel Amphlett, an interior designer from Worcester, organised the jump to raise money for the Worcestershire Breast Unit Haven, which raised £31,600. She said it was exhilarating, terrifying and awesome all at the same time. The jump took place last Saturday at Hinton Skydiving Centre in Northamptonshire. Annabelle said she was strapped to an instructor as she tumbled out of the aircraft, reaching speeds of up to 120 miles per hour. For 45 seconds, the skydiver somersaulted and went into free fall before the instructors opened their parachutes for a gentle five-minute descent. She said, I counted every breath for that 45 seconds. The noise was incredible and the G-force on my face was so strong I could hardly breathe. But once the parachute opened, it was the most amazing experience, just so calm and quiet. The instructor and I could chat normally, spotting landmarks and pointing out the towns and villages. It was such a buzz. Everyone was just brilliant and we've raised such a fantastic amount of money for a wonderful cause. I'm so grateful to everyone who took part and a big thank you to all the incredible donors for supporting this amazing charity. The 51-year-old was joined by Jeevan Taylor, Kendall Wadley, Jeremy and Sue Morris, daughters Jessica and Maisie and Candy Connolly. Also making the leap were Charles Moyle, Charles Whitworth, Savannah and Pete Edwards, Patricia Marlar, Caroline Lear, her sons Alex and Oliver, Russ Good and Jessica Wells. Worcestershire Breast Unit Haven, based at Worcestershire Royal Hospital, provides practical and emotional support to the 800 women and 7 men diagnosed with breast cancer in the county each year working closely with specialist NHS teams to provide care. Fiona Charney, chair of the trustees at the Breast Cancer Unit, said, Huge thanks and admiration go to each and every one of the skydivers. They are so brave and fearless, and we love how they just went for it in terms of both fundraising and the challenge. Thank you too to everybody who donated in support of those jumping. This money is so important for us in supporting women and men in Worcestershire through their breast cancer diagnosis, treatment and post-treatment. Worcester's connection with one of the most famous maritime disasters in history, the sinking of the Titanic on April 15th, 1912, has finally been marked by the unveiling of a blue plaque on the wall of an Indian restaurant in Fourgate Street. For it was here more than a century ago that 39-year-old Henry Morley ran his sweet shop before deciding, leaving his wife and child, to elope to America on the luxury liner with his teenage counter-assistant, Kate Phillips. 
Henry went down with the ship, but Kate, who was 19, escaped on the last lifeboat and nine months later gave birth to a little girl. The campaign to recognise that baby as the youngest survivor of the Titanic has been a long one, but in December last year, Ellen Mary Walker's granddaughter, Beverly Roberts, and Duncan Morley, a relative of Henry Morley, achieved a DNA match which proved the indelible link between the two families. My grandmother fought tirelessly all her adult life to be recognised as Henry's daughter, but sadly she died in 2005 at the age of 92 without that proof, said Beverly. However, in December 2020, myself and Duncan, the grandson of Henry's younger brother, Louis Morley, finally took DNA tests and we had a match, which confirmed that Henry Samuel Morley was indeed Ellen's father. It would have been final consolation for a lady who suffered a lengthy series of frustrations and bitter disappointments during her lifetime, mainly in being refused membership of the Titanic Association and invitations to its survivor reunions, as the association firmly shunned her youngest survivor claim. The installation of the blue plaque funded by Mrs Roberts was arranged through the Worcester Civic Society and Chairman Phil Deuce, together with numerous members of the Morley and Walker families, attended the unveiling. Henry and his elder brother Arthur Morley ran three sweet shops in Worcester, for as well as the one in Fourgate Street, there were others in Broad Street, which later moved to a larger premises on the Cross, and the Shambles, plus a fourth in Bellevue Terrace, Malvern, and three in Birmingham. The businesses were very successful and running well, but the same could not be said for Henry's marriage to his wife Louisa, added Beverly, a Kidderminster antiques dealer. In the meantime, Kate and Henry, working close together, fell in love. But it was to be kept a secret, especially as there was a 20-year age gap, and Henry, being already married, in 1910 it would have been scandalous. With the businesses thriving, Henry began plans to escape and start a new life with Kate in San Francisco, intending to open a confectionery shop there. He made sure his wife and daughter Doris were to be financially secure by leaving them the business in Malvern. On March the 3rd, 1912, Henry and Kate left Worcester and went to stay with brother Arthur at 73 New Street, Birmingham from where Henry purchased the ticket for the voyage, paying £26 for a second-class berth. The booking was made under the names Mr and Mrs Marshall to try to cover their tracks. Arthur, together with Kate's parents, accompanied the couple to Southampton on April the 9th and they all stayed at the South Western Hotel. The next morning, they went to Titanic's berth 44, where Arthur and Kate's parents waved goodbye to Henry and Kate. Henry perished when the ship sank and his body was never found. But Kate survived. Beverly added, she was taken in by the Red Cross in New York. At the time she had been pregnant with my grandmother Ellen, who was either conceived just before they set sail or on board the Titanic itself. Kate returned to Worcester to be with her family in Waterworks Road and on January the 11th, 1913, Ellen Mary Walker was born. As well as the Blue Plaque in Worcester, on premises now occupied by Café Mella, 
a memorial plaque funded by the British Titanic Society will be going up at Breakspear Crematorium in Ryslip, Middlesex, where Kate's ashes were scattered. Uh, and now on to some sporting stories. Emotions ran high at New Road as a Worcestershire cricket legend said farewell to the club after 17 seasons. Former captain Daryl Mitchell took to the field for the county for the final time as they beat Leicestershire. The 37-year-old was given the guard of honour as he came out to the middle for the final time and was handed a special series of colour prints by club chairman Fanos Hera and president Cynthia Crawford. Mitchell is hanging up his spikes after 17 seasons as a first-team player, six of them as captain. His record in red ball cricket consists of 225 appearances, 13,911 runs, 39 centuries, 55 half-centuries, 300 first-class catches and 33 wickets. In white ball cricket, he has made 35 list A and 177 T20 appearances, 3,466 list A and 2,341 T20 runs, four list A centuries and 22 fifties, 17 T20 fifties, 56 list A and 74 T20 catches, 81 list A and 101 T20 wickets. He will take up a full-time role as Professional Cricketers Association Cricket Operations Director. Head coach Alex Gidman paid tribute, saying, Daryl Mitchell deserved it, to be at the wicket when victory was completed. He has been an amazing cricketer for this club for a long, long time. He is a wonderful man, who put his heart and soul into this club for so long. It was very fitting he managed to be in the middle at the end and got the send-off he deserved. Leicestershire head coach Paul Nixon echoed Gidman's sentiments. He said congratulations to Daryl Mitchell on a stellar career. He has lifted several trophies at Worcestershire and is a great journeyman of county cricket. The PCA is in a better place for having him as part of the organisation. He has a tremendous passion for this game. And the article is surrounded by several pictures of Daryl's success. Year 10 Nunnery Wood High School student Alfie Godfrey Fletcher is Britain's under-14s water skiing champion for 2021. The British Water Ski Nationals was held at Oxford Wakeboard and Ski Club between the 12th and 15th of August. Alfie first started water skiing four years ago when he was encouraged by his granddad, who was also a keen water skier. Alfie said, I love the sport and have been fortunate enough in previous years to train on a lake in the USA where I visit family throughout the year. Over the summer period, he entered a number of competitions in the UK, managing to win each of those events. Despite recovering from a back injury, Alfie took the decision to enter the main event, the British Water Ski Nationals. He competed against the country's best skiers in the under-14 category, and although it was a very tight final, Alfie won by the finest of margins. 
Alfie said, I was buzzing with excitement when I won the competition and I was also a bit emotional. I love the sport and my intention is to work towards the under-17s competition in the future. I'm studying GCSE sport and my goal is to go to study sport in the USA. Alfie's father, Mark Fletcher, said, As a parent, I'm very proud of Alfie's achievement. He has only been water skiing for four years and he's been an unbelievable accomplishment to win the under-14s British Nationals. Alfie is so determined and pushes himself to the limits to progress to the next stage of his development. He is so excited for next year already as he will be competing in the under-17s category at the top speed of 58 kilometres per hour. Worcester Warriors came from 21-3 at half-time to earn themselves two points despite defeat against reigning Premiership champions Harlequins in an enthralling game at the Twickenham Stoop. Tries from Louis Leinar, Alex Dombrandt and Caden Murley had put the hosts in control at the break, but Warriors stormed back with scores from Ollie Lawrence, Willie Hines and Will Chudley either side of Joe Marchant's second-half try to make it 28-24 with 10 minutes on the clock. Dino Lamb put the result to bed with time running out, but Warriors would not leave empty-handed as substitute Mark Thomas scored from close range to secure his side two richly deserved points. Warriors started brightly and Owen Williams knocked an early penalty to give them the lead. But Quinns grew into it and just before the 20-minute mark, winger Louis Liner showed his strength to burst through a few tacklers to rumble over a quick check with the TMO from referee Sarah Cox. The official became the first female to ever take charge of an English top-flight league fixture and was applauded by fans after the game as she walked down the tunnel. Liner's score seemed to give Quinns and their raucous fans a lift before they extended their lead through Alex Dombrandt following a dominant scrum. Noah Hewood was sin-binned a few minutes later for an in-the-air tackle and the host took full advantage right on the half-time whistle when Caden Murley sprinted over in the corner. Tommaso Allen was perfect from the tee all afternoon and his third successive conversion meant the home side held a comfortable lead heading into the sheds. Worcester raced out of the blocks in the early stages of the second half and Lawrence picked himself a delightful line to squeeze through the Quinn's midfield and power over for their first try of the afternoon. The excitement continued and despite a strong start, Warriors found themselves back under their posts not long after Lawrence's score when Joe Marchant collected a wide pass from flight half Allen out wide to stroll in for the bonus point. Warriors were back in the game shortly afterwards as Hines darted over as he collected a cheeky dink over the top by fly half Williams. It became a four-point game when Chudley touched down after some great counter-attacking play from full-back Jamie Shilcock down the left wing. 
The champions looked rattled, but the result was eventually set in stone when Lamb crossed, but the visitors were not finished and Prop Thomas squirmed his way over with the clock in the red to seal his two valuable points. Jake Libby and Brett Dolivera were the big winners at Worcestershire County Cricket Club's end-of-season awards evening. The pair picked up five awards between them at the presentation evening at New Road. Opening batsman Libby took home the Dick Ligon Award, a recognition of his achievements both on and off the field. He was also voted the Players' Player of the Year after a season in which he scored 1,075 runs in the county championship the second highest of any player in the competition. Having only arrived from Nottinghamshire two years ago, Libby had made an immediate impact at New Road and was appointed vice-captain of the Red Ball side this summer. Dolivera collected a haul of three awards. The All-Rounder picked up the Supporters Association Player of the Year, the T20 Player of the Year and the Franz Forum Fielder of the Year. Dolivera was an integral part of the three pairs' pace attack in the red ball game and the club's second highest scorer in the Royal London Cup. In the Vitality Blast, Dolivera excelled, finishing the season as the Rapids' leading run scorer and the most economical bowler. Dylan Pennington earned the Worcestershire Cricket Society Moment of the Year award for his 4-0 bowling performance against Yorkshire at Headingley in the Vitality Blast. Jack Haynes, 153 off 128 balls against Essex at Chelmsford in the Royal London Cup, his maiden century for Worcestershire, was named Best Match Performance of the 2021 season. And finally, the David Exel Award went to Mike Hitchings. Mr Hitchings has been a Worcestershire supporter for 60 years and is Secretary of the Worcestershire Cricket Society. And that ends our contribution of the news for this week. So thank you for listening. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. Uh, And now for the obituaries. Gwendolyn Gwen Perry passed away peacefully on Monday, August the 23rd. Funeral service shall take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 1st of October at 10.45. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, to Cancer Research UK can be left in donation box provided or sent directly to the charity. All inquiries to AV Band Funeral Directors. Dorothy Mary Boughton passed away peacefully on August the 31st. Funeral to take place on Friday the 8th of October at 1pm at Worcester Crematorium. Donations in lieu of flowers to the Alzheimer's Society via the crematorium or Worcester Funeral Services. Janet Jan Elizabeth Roberry passed away on 7th of September. Funeral at St Mary's Church, Kemsey on Friday, October the 1st at 1pm, followed by private interment at Norton Churchyard. Family flowers only, donations if desired for Kemsey Church. Checks payable to PCC Kemsey, please. 
may be left at the service or sent to Bedwardine funeral services. Thomas Christopher Tom Moran passed away on the 1st of September. A requiem mass will be held at Our Lady Queen of Peace Catholic Church on Monday the 4th of October at 1pm. Flowers ordinations for the Stroke Association may be sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. Mary Ann Palmer passed away peacefully on the 5th of September. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 1st of October at 1pm. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice or guide dogs may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. Kathleen Jean Watts Nay Hawker passed away on September the 6th. Special thanks for the exceptional care at Redhill Nursing Home. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, October the 5th at 11.30am. Flowers may be sent to AV Band Funeral Directors. Celia Newport passed away peacefully on September the 10th. Funeral service at St Philip with St James's Church Hallow on Tuesday the 28th of September at 11.15am followed by a private committal at Worcester Crematorium. No flowers by request, but donations if desired for Arthritis Research UK may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. Eric Coots, suddenly but peacefully on the 11th of September, Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 4th of October at 10.45. Flowers welcome or, if desired, donations for the Motor Neuron Disease Association, MND, may be left at the service or sent to care of Bedwardine Funeral Services. Linda Mary McRae passed away peacefully on the 12th of September. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 5th of October at 12.15pm. Family flowers only please, but donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, Worcester. Louis James Finch passed away peacefully on the 12th of September. Funeral service at St Mary and St Milba Church, Offenham, on Thursday the 30th of September at 12.30, followed by a burial in the churchyard. Family flowers only. Donations, if desired, for the British Heart Foundation may be placed online or at www.merstogreen.co.uk. Hazel Harris passed away peacefully on the 13th of September. Funeral service and burial at St Peter's Church Poick on Wednesday, September the 29th at 12 noon. Donations for Acorns Children's Hospice, care of Bedwardine Funeral Service. Jean Mary Mansell passed away peacefully on Wednesday the 15th of September. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 30th at 11.30am. No flowers by request, but donations, if desired, for Dementia UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. 
Trevor Brooks, passed away peacefully at home on the 16th of September. Funeral service and burial at St Mary's Church, Kemsey, on Tuesday the 5th of October at 11.30. Family flowers only, please. Donations to the RSPB, care of Bedwardine Funeral Service. And Peter James Hinton passed away on the 20th of September. Funeral service on Wednesday, 13th of October at 11.15am at Kingsdown Crematorium. Family flowers only. Donations in lieu to Macmillan Cancer or Prospect Hospice. Inquiries to, co- to Cooperative Funeral Care. And our thoughts and prayers go with all the families and friends of those people who have died recently. <laughs> 